we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And we're on uh, Buffalo What's Next uh, on the road again today as we uh, continue to uh, make things work at WBFO with our uh, current studio situation. So uh, Dr. Uh, Henry Lewis Taylor, kind enough to invite us into his office here at the uh, uh, Center for Urban Studies at the University of Buffalo. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Taylor. It's a pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. We have a lot to talk about, and we wanted to get some thoughts about the recent blizzard here in Buffalo and, of course, across western New York as well. I know the we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago. You said that the, the center was going to put together a, an action review, what went on with city, county government, and things along those lines, and I know that's a process that's still underway. But as you get into it, just maybe a little bit of an overview of sorts, who was most impacted by the storm? Yeah, well, just to give you a backdrop, uh, like most Buffalonians, uh, once uh, we got word of the storm, it was just a matter of trying to get ready for it. And at that time, I was concerned uh, because I was supposed to fly out to Phoenix on uh, that Friday uh, to spend time with, with my son and his daughter. <clears throat> so as it became increasingly clear that, that I may not get out of Buffalo, I started watching the airport closings and other types of, of, of things and uh, was hoping against the, the worst, the best. And so when that storm hit, on, on Friday, I was very much surprised at, at the ferocity of it and how early it had started and uh, just continued into the night. And so for the first couple of days, it was just communicating back and forth with family and friends and letting everybody know I was okay and was surviving things. Then I got a call from uh, one of my colleagues, Pastor George Nicholas. And uh, he was beginning to get concerned. And we started to talk about how this storm was going to hit the east side harder than other parts of the city. Now, in, in the earlier conversations with family and friends, I, I expressed concerns over this. But I wasn't, you know, I'm just thinking like an ordinary citizen. Sure, take care of you. Not as an academic. Right. Uh, but after talking to Pastor Nicholas, the, I started to think again as a scholar and, and an academic. And this was now, let me start to monitor this stuff. 
stuff. Let's start to see what's happening. We had all of these hypotheses and, and we had learned from the COVID uh, event that the African-American population, Buffalo's East Side, was the hardest hit by, by this uh, 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 pandemic. Of course, everybody was deeply impacted, but they were the hardest hit. Like we have always said, when white people catch a cold, black people get pneumonia. So we wanted to know, are black people getting pneumonia in this storm or just a cold? That was a huge question. We knew from Katrina, we knew from every single disaster that has occurred, not here in just in Buffalo, but all over the world, that whenever an extreme event hits, the lowest income population groups are the hardest hit those that are most impacted. So initially, um, we started looking at the outage maps um, and seeing the heavy concentration of outages on Buffalo's east side. We knew outages were occurring elsewhere, sure. but there was a heavy concentration of, of outages on, on Buffalo's east side. And, and so we thought that would generate a, a uh, that community being hit extremely hard. So we looked at this from a, a disaster planning perspective, and we knew that the first step is to identify the most vulnerable population groups. And we believe, based on all of our experiences, that in Buffalo, New York, not only was there a vulnerable population, and we thought that African-American people, uh, the immigrant population, the Latinx population on the far west side, would be our most vulnerable populations. And we knew that there was a geographic component to this. They weren't just scattered all over. And so our concern was that death and dying would not be randomly distributed, but concentrated on the east side. And we wanted to get a sense of whether that was happening or not. So we started investigating and digging up information even before, uh, as the storm was waging, and as we moved from uh, uh, response to the storm and action to the recovery period, uh, we were heavily involved in, in digging up information, talking to people, uh, and on uh, Wednesday, uh, uh, we started doing field trips across the city of Buffalo to see things with our own eyes in different parts of the city. I definitely want to talk about those field trips and what you saw, but when you were talking about, you mentioned COVID, which I guess we could look back and say, 
maybe that was the last storm, most recent disaster that came through. And clearly, of course, the numbers have told us that Buffalo's black population was struck very heavily by COVID. And, and if I'm not mistaken, messaging was a big part of trying to change that narrative. Yeah, well, that, that, your point of age is very good. Buffalo's population we knew would be hard hit. I work closely with the African-American Health Disparities Task Force. The minute we got word, and on our team are a number of, of uh, specialists in COVID, so we knew how, we knew a lot about this disease. And as an urban planner, I knew a lot about how it would move through space. So as soon as we realized that the situation was about to really get bad in Buffalo, our people huddled together and we said, the African-American population is going to be hardest hit. So let's develop a strategy. The city, the county, nobody had a strategy. No strategy. So uh, a, a, a team led by Nicholas and others, and including our med people, we forged this strategy. Then they met with the county executive, and I will give him full credit. He funded that team to put together an intervention strategy to mitigate the impacts of that. And as a consequence of this, we were able to significantly reduce the deaths that were occurring in, in, in the county. So when you would compare Buffalo with many other parts of the country, our black population was the least uh, uh, impacted by this disease, thanks to an intervention strategy that, that was pulled up. A part of what we learned during that period was messaging is huge. Right. And, and that's where I, I want to move to the storm then in the sense that messaging, getting the message to the vulnerable people that this is coming and how to go about preparing for it if there, in fact, is a way, because in some cases, housing just might not be appropriate for it. And I, I know there's lots of examples like that. Was there a message that could have been consumed by Buffalo's most vulnerable people? Yeah, but that, that never happened. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, that we learned from the COVID experience is that in, in a disaster area where you need people to move, that you've got to be in a position to get them to believe that something is going to happen and to respond in a particular way. With COVID, it was about you got to get vaccine, you got to wear a mask, you got to wash your hands. Who gives that message? As we like to say, the messenger and the message are the same. The messenger is, in fact, the messenger, message. So you have to identify a variety of people who can speak to the population and subpopulation with the messages that you want them to grasp. The city, the county, never had a, a message 
They gave out information, but not a message. And, and the messaging that they gave was weak and poor. Like the travel ban was really about, we don't want you out there getting in the way of emergency vehicles. It wasn't say, you drive, you die. You'll get stuck. We can't help you. That kind of spilled out later, but in the middle of the crisis. And so, but even more disturbing, throughout that entire episode, there was not a single message indicating the dangers of walking. Nothing. 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 And as a consequence, the most people that died were walking out there in that storm. Either got stuck and walked or thought they could run a typical errand and got trapped in the snowstorm. So the messaging was, was awful. And, and I think uh, the storm throughout the preparatory periods were um, mild and, and gave folks no sense of the magnitude of what was coming. Now, what, what city and county officials failed to understand, Buffalo, uh, as I always say, hey, we snow tough. <laughs> we snow tough. I even call my Jeep, we go. No matter how deep or hard or bad the conditions are, we go. And, and, and so that's the mindset in, in this region. The, 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 the snow is our briar patch. It's our favorite place. It's not something that we fear but something that we embrace. So a population with that mentality, you don't tell them a storm is coming, stay indoors. They, they're not hearing that. You know, we've seen it. We've experienced it. We've mythologized the blizzard of 77. Uh, you, you know, we don't care. We ice skated during the, 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 the October surprise. You've got to be more frank. And, and they weren't. They weren't. And by the time they begin to frantically talk to the people, you had the mayor and the county commission and the governor speaking and a bunch of appointed and elected officials. There were no people that people actually knew. There were no pastors. There were no community leaders. There were none of the ordinary folks that could have spoken to, to the masses. And we have the technology to make that happen. Everybody, there are many, many, many people 
in this city, uh, especially the middle classes, with Zoom capacity and capability. Many people got that on their telephones. They FaceTime all the time. So it would have been easy to have, to have done that, uh, but it didn't happen. Even when you look at the home, uh, Homeland Security and Emergency Facebook page, it's literally business as usual, moving in, up to the days of the storm. And even as the storm hit, there's not, nothing on that page that gives you a sense of the urgency that we would be facing. Um, but there's something that's much, much more disturbing than all of this. It's what we call the cause of the causes. The cause of the causes. As far as I've been able to determine, the city of Buffalo does not have an emergency management plan or a disaster preparatory preparedness plan. Nothing. And the plan that the county has is not really a plan but an information document that tells you a lot. I mean, it's a lot of really fantastic information about the storm dangers and all of the uh, dangers that we face from, from various uh, extreme events, with the snowstorm being the greatest, but no plans for what to do in relationship to that. And I think perhaps the reason and I want to talk to the, the, the emergency manager to get better insight, is that all of the individual jurisdictions in the city, in the, in the county, are supposed to have their own jurisdiction-level plans. Buffalo does not, to my knowledge. Now, we've seen evidence that an RFP was put out in 2018 and even an RFP was put out in 2022. But we see no evidence that uh, such a plan exists. Uh, when inquired about it, the only thing I was given was your regular snow plan. And as I examined the, the snow plan, the, just a regular snow plan, even that is disturbing. How so? One, it, it's based on equality, not equity. Equity means that you identify those vulnerable populations and you steer resources toward them. Equality means you treat everybody the same. And we know that they didn't. We know that they didn't. Informants have told us, very reliable informants, that on Tuesday, the uh, 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 city spent eight hours, six to eight hours, 
cleaning a high-income, small, one-way street on Buffalo's west side. Not saying that street didn't need cleaning, but given the conditions that were on the west side and given the fact that you could get through that street, there was no reason to prioritize it. And indeed, based on, on our field work, right. all of those high-end streets, were they had done a pretty good job in, in um, uh, making them passable. It was still, you know, bounds and all of those things, but they had done a very good job of it. So, you're, like, so you said on Wednesday you began your field trips yeah. and you went into the east side. How far could you get? Where did you go? What did you see? It was very uneven. Some of the streets were we saw were, were they had done a good job plowing them. Uh, we don't know when that plowing started, but we know that that uh, when I went out uh, that afternoon, that a number of those streets were were, were okay, uh, one way, etc. But there were a number of other uh, side streets. Many of the side streets. Uh, you couldn't get all the way through them. There were mounds. You might get a little ways, and then there were mounds, and there, there were difficulties and, 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 and the like. So, uh, um, and, the, and that was, a, 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 and, and you could really see the extensiveness of the cars that were completely covered with, with snow. And so when we put all of that together, it, it raised a, a number of series of program of, of, of challenges and issues from, from our mind and our, our point of view. First of all, in terms of what I was saying for, for the city does not identify a vulnerable population. Not the homeless in, in their snow plan, there is no identification of a vulnerable population. In, uh, uh, and they, they have, to my knowledge, no actual office of uh, uh, emergency management. And there's one at a county level, but, but not at a city level, and, which is ex extremely disturbing. But even at the county level, when they describe the vulnerable population, they describe it only in terms of age. Below five and below, young people and older people, 65 years and over. So there's no thought in terms of socioeconomics, race, and how those things are geography. So when you, you look at, at, at Buffalo and you say the east side has a low-income black population, that's geographically concentrated in an area where there's a lot of old housing. And when old housing meet low incomes, you get a toxic situation. Like when old housing meet high income, you got a different reality. Uh, my house was built in 1895, but it's great, you know. Great 1895 house, no issues, no problems. Uh, and a lot of places like that on Buffalo's west side. So on the east side, we're dealing with a very, very, very 
different scenario in two significant ways. <clears throat> at, at one level, you, you have what they call knob and tube wiring in these older houses. And, and knob and, and tube wiring, in order for it to work and function, you can't have high levels of insulation in those places. So they're poorly insulated. And as long as you've got that type of wiring, you can't improve on that level of, uh, 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 of insulation. So you have a significant number of these houses. Many of those houses, like 66% or 67% of, the, of blacks are renters. Many of them living in what we have since consistently called substandard housing, which means the windows and all of those other things where you could increase the level of insulation. That stuff's not existing. These houses don't have storm windows and all those other types of things on it. So what that means is that when temperatures drop, if the electricity goes off, you know those houses are going to be much colder than others. So I believe the mayor, when he talked about his electricity going off, having uh, a more sophisticated wiring system, he was talking about it drops that around 40 or 35. On the east side, in many of these knob and, 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 and tube wiring houses, that temperature is going to drop 12, 10, and in some instances, maybe zero or less. Those people are going to be in danger and trouble. You know that before the storm hits. Everybody who has a, everybody in City Hall should have known that. Should have known that. Minimally. There should have been messaging sent out to people way in advance. This is what you got to do when those houses go cold and lose electricity, especially if you're trapped in them. Because there were some people, uh, how many we don't have a clue, that made the decision, we can't stay here. If we stay here, we die. Our only chance of survival is to leave and find some warm places. And, and, and because there was no extensive list of all of the possible war warming centers, all of the places that, that we could have potentially accessed, people would flip a dime, What's, where might I go? We don't know where all of them went. We, we know some people ended, a lot of people ended up at ECMC. We know that some people ended up at, at burger shops and, and different locations, but we got no clue in terms of where all, a lot of these people went. All we know is from the limited samples of a couple of people that I've talked to that I know well, they couldn't stay there anymore. So they said, I got to leave. And uh, one person in, in particular, uh, uh, 
a good friend of mine, <clears throat> a, a Reverend Pointer, I know he won't mind me using his name, sure. it told his wife in, in their east side house, he said, I can't, we can't stay here anymore. It's about 12 degrees. We don't know what it'll be later on tonight. We got to go. We stay, we die. And so they dressed in multiple uh, layers and other types of things, and he had a friend. He could see his friend's house from, 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 from his study. Could see that house, maybe 200 yards away. And they dressed, and he had one rule. He told his wife, do not, do not under any circumstances get disconnected from me. And he said that the snow outside of his house when they dug their way out was waist, chest high, chest high. And it took him more than two hours to fight his way through that snow to get to his friend's house. Uh, and his friend saw him and said, is that you, Reverend Pointer? Because he was covered with ice and snow. He was one of the lucky ones. He was one of the lucky ones. But my point is that, that without knowing where warming centers are and were, and without the, the, the city sending out a strong message by multiple sources that certain houses are going to be very, very dangerous. If you think, and we believe based on our previous experience, because I would be willing to bet that they have enough data at National Grid to run uh, uh, analytics to determine the probability of, 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 of outages in certain areas. I mean, because that's just a statistical measure based upon previous experiences. But be that as it may, based on our examinations of some of the early maps, and, and I didn't start that, I think, until uh, Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, we could see the heavy concentration of outages on the east side. And given everything that we know, those outages we felt would have a devastating effect. The, the other thing that we knew is that there are more than 7,000 vacant lots on Buffalo's east side. So when you have hurricane-level winds blowing that snow under blizzard conditions and you got no structures, fences, few trees, houses to block it, you're going to get a lot of unevenness of snow drifts on Buffalo's east side. A lot of that stuff is going to occur. No messaging about the dangers of walking, about how quickly you can get hypothermia, how quickly you can get disoriented under those conditions. So you're walking in a, in a familiar place. Your house is to the right. You get all disoriented and go to the left. You are in trouble. And at least one story that we heard of somebody who died just within feet of yeah. their house. And there are other stories. I mean, there are lots of the stories. They're heartbreaking. 
uh, of this young man, I don't remember his name, but uh, from True Bethel, who got within a block of, of his house. He had gone to a meeting and was coming back walking, but couldn't make it, couldn't make it, and died in a, in a, in, in a snowbank. And, and so we weren't aware of this. We weren't aware of the fact that, that you're out there on the street, but you can only see that white wall, that white wall. You can't tell left and right and this way and that way. And if you've ever experienced disorientation, you know, you, you, all of a sudden, you don't know where you are. I mean, if you've ever been driving and thinking about something and all of a sudden you forget where you are and you look around and you're not sure where you are, and maybe make another wrong turn. In that situation, you could die. And many people did. And, and so it's no accident that the vast, that the most people died outside walking for one reason or the other. And that was an unnecessary tragedy. That was a tragedy of the failure of government. That was a tragedy of cascading failures of government. And so what was the cause of these cascading failure of government? The cause was simple. They had no emergency preparedness. They had no emergency management plan. They had nothing in place. And that was the reason that all of these other types of things occurred. So when people talk about we didn't have the right equipment or we didn't have this or we didn't have, stop. You didn't have any of that because you got no plan. You got no plan. You got no system for dealing with the emergency. And, and to put this thing in, in, in proper perspective, right? Since 1976, there have been 10 emergency level, disaster level snowstorms in Buffalo and Erie County. And you got nothing. And so what we believe, I don't know, but what we're hypothesizing and what we will be looking at, it, it appears as if we have enough emergency things in place, uh, the county plan and a few other things, to qualify for aid and other types of things uh, from a disaster. Because there's certain things to be to apply for these monies that you have to have in place, and I think once you reach that minimum standard of things that you must have to be eligible for these resources, that's where the thing stops, and 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 that's something that we'll be attempting in our in our investigation to find out if in fact that is is the case. This is Buffalo What's Next. We'll be right back right after this on WBFO. 
Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're being joined on Buffalo What's Next uh, with uh, Henry Lewis Taylor. We're at the, his office here at the Center for uh, Urban Studies at the University of Buffalo, and uh, we're winding down, but I want to get into a, a couple of things here in a perfect world moving forward. And again, you have research to do still here. You talked about the lack of planning, a lack of emergency planning, and the lack of addressing the needs of the most vulnerable. How would you like to see government combining with community leaders to address this for real plan moving forward? Well, I think the first thing that, that you need to do is establish uh, an office of emergency management within the city of, of, of Buffalo. Uh, the second thing that I think you need to do is, is really to develop a, a, a disaster preparedness plan. And there's certain basic elements that, that such a plan uh, should, should include. One is that you must define the most vulnerable population. Um, and that it has to be defined in terms of race and in terms of, of class, where we have to look at where the low-income populations are, are concentrated on the west side, on the far east side, and where those low-income pockets of whites are, are to be found so that you'll be able to create a, a strategies unique to the challenges faced by, by those populations. And as you look at those populations, you have to also look at the geography of the space and determine the unique features of that geography that might present uh, uh, activities that we don't expect. I mean, like if we look at the geography of Erie County, we know that in many instances the south towns are going to be harder hit uh, than other parts of, of, of the region. And so in planning, you have to take those types of things into consideration. The second thing, we, we need to understand vulnerability not only in terms of people but in structures. So where are the most vulnerable structures that people are living in? And in our case, they may be in these old uh, knob and tube housing, places that you know if there's a, a power outage that uh, these areas are going to be particularly impacted in a negative way. We, we, we need a database where we keep those kinds of, of, of places 
up front and then look at the different uh, uh, unique challenges that may occur. Other geographic features might well be places where there are high concentrations of vacant lots because we know in snow threat that will impact in, 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 in certain kinds of way. Just as you know, if there are low-lying areas, they may be subject to, to, to floods and dangers of those nature. So looking at the geography of, of the city, uh, we should know the unique vulnerabilities of every section of the city so that given a particular event, we will know specifically how to begin to think about the, these conditions and, and what to do about it. Uh, also along the lines of vulnerabilities, you know that everybody that's on some type of, of system that allows them to need electricity to live, we got to know where all of those locations are, and they should be on a map so that uh, 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 we can look to see if there's some power outage. These locations where people's lives are immediately threatened are, are places that we've got to go to immediately. Uh, and it might, we might even want to think about things depending on the magnitude of the level of development that the county has a set uh, network of, of, of these generators. So in unique instances, you take generators to someone's house to give them that level of life support or to get them out of there to a nearby warming station or emergency station. And just like you remember in the days of years and years ago when we thought that the, the world would get blown up, there were designated storm cellars, and everybody kind of like knew where these designated storm cellars were, were situated and, and where they were located. And so likewise, there should be designated places. And given the level of the, the storm threat, uh, and we already have levels of storm, storm threats. If you, there's what they call a level five snowstorm. Well, we should begin to use that kind of, of language so that given the level of the storm that we anticipate and expect, right, we know the kinds of actions that, that, that should occur. Like when you're in, in, in a hurricane environment and setting, and I've, I've gone through a hurricane, when I was in Cuba, and so I, I get a sense of, of, of how greatness at emergency preparedness saves lives. And the Cubans, whatever they do, they take disaster preparation deeply seriously. And they, they are amazing, you know, with this. But my larger point is that if, if we've got a handle on these things, where these folks are and where they're situated, then we can formulate and put together strategies so that we will be able to get to these vulnerable populations and groups. Another thing that I think would be essential is that you should have your snowmobile team. I mean, we got all these people out here who are professional snowmobilers. They should be like a national guard so that under a given situation and circumstance, they can be mobilized. 
you know, what if we had a team assembled already since we knew this storm was going to be this bad of snowmobilers, right? Then, then those snowmobilers uh, would boom. They would move into these areas. I mean, right now we should be experimenting with drone carriers. Uh, we got the technology, and, and, and we need to accelerate some of the research so that, that we can get these drones to be able to move through uh, situations and circumstances that normal vehicles and others may not be able to get through. So if we had drone carriers and we could get to a location, maybe a vehicle could get here, then send whatever they were needed to send, drone it over. I mean, uh, if somebody's life was there, you, you send the snowmobilers in. And I'm sure they got goggles somewhere, and if not, they can invent that stuff, where it allows you to see through these things and make better use of, 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 of heat imagery and the like. So I'm saying that, that you think now of all your existing resources and resources that you can bring into action and make that a part of a, of a, of a comprehensive plan so that you will know what to do in the event of, of a disaster, depending on the level and the type of, of, of that, that disaster. And in our case in Buffalo, more often than not, they're going to be the snow threat. But the same strategies, the same approaches that I've been talking about, if there was another threat, like uh, the disease threat that came with COVID-19, created unique and specific challenges. And if there was a disaster preparedness or a disaster emergency management plan in place, then it's easy to respond and make the right choices under, under pressure because of many of these things you have thought through and there are various things you know if you are confronted with, you will be able to manage and handle in an effective and efficient route, way. And it also means that you know how to establish a recovery strategy that will allow you to tack places based on need, not political influence. Not political influence, but, but need. So an office such as the one that we're talking about would really live by what we call the PRR, preparedness, response to the emergency once it happens, but you're already prepared. You've looked at a number of different scenarios and possibilities. You know where the vulnerable populations are. You know what your triage strategy is. Game on. Game on. Then how do you recover? Sort of like the Bills uh, Bengals game. You get prepared. <laughs> right. Right. You got to get prepared. Think through all of the different scenarios. Look at everything. Then put together your game plan. That's your emergency management plan. Then the game starts. That's when the disaster hits. 
and you know how to respond based on your plan. So no matter what the Bengals do, if Buffalo has done a good job preparing, now all they got to do is execute and respond in the appropriate way. Recovery. Game over. Deal with who got hurt. Get them all well and get ready for the next fight. You brought up, and this is my final uh, dive in here, but you did say and use the term political influence shouldn't matter. You also mentioned that we've had 10 now emergency level storms since 1976. We know, even though it can get more sophisticated and more specific, we know where the vulnerable populations of the city are. This is an election year for the Common Council. Should this storm be the top political discussion in those races? Well, I think there should be two top political discussions in those, those races. Uh, one is uh, the storm and, and, and the necessity of being prepared for the next extreme event that, that's going to occur because there will be another extreme event that, that, that occurs. It's, not, it's only a matter of when it is going to happen, not if it is going to happen. But we also have to confront the, the insidious silent killer. Uh, and that insidious silent killer in, in Buffalo are these substandard houses that so many people live in. And I call a house substandard and because the substandard houses are very much related to rent gouging. And this isn't an issue of affordability. This is an issue of predatory profiteering. And this predatory profiteering operates to allow um, these landlords to make hyper profits by holding down maintenance and upkeep while charging high rents. And so as a consequence, uh, on Buffalo's east side, 36% uh, of the population are paying more than 50% of their income on housing. And so when you're paying 30 to 40 to 50 to 60% of your income on housing, you have much fewer resources to, to buy food with, uh, for transportation, and for medicine. And so for many people, you know, there's always a copay, even if you got insurance. Then you got to buy the, the, the medications. And so you have people picking and choosing between those two. So as a consequence of these kinds of conditions, the premature death rate among African Americans in Buffalo is 300 times the death rate, premature death rate of whites. Our infant mortality rates are at third world levels. They have what they call low birth rate babies, and, and those numbers are at third world levels. And, and a low birth rate baby is, is a problem because these kids are, are likely to have health problems throughout their, their lives. So the elected officials have to go after the substandard housing. Uh, it's criminal to allow people to live in houses that are killing them just so that others can make uh, huge amounts of money. Then the, the sad part about it is that it's a form of expropriation. 
a, a, a kind of Robin Hood thesis turned upside down, where the rich are robbing from the poor. Uh, and and, and it, it, it happens, and it hurts Buffalo significantly because you have a huge number of people who are paying half or more or a significant part of their income on one commodity, and that one commodity is most often owned by people who live in the county, outside of Buffalo, or people who live outside of the region as a whole. Imagine if these same people were spending 20% of their income and the rest was being spent on items that are here in the city. Not only would it enrich and help these residents, but it would also be a boom for the city. And so I think too long have the political leaders in this city, especially the council members, but the administration itself, refused to do something about the dilapidated and run-down houses in which poor African-Americans and Latinx and immigrants are being forced to live in, and they should change it. And, 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 and this is significant because under emergency situations like the blizzard of 2022, these are the populations that are going to be hardest hit specifically because of the conditions of life under which you have made them live. So the lack of, of a plan was huge. It was the cause of the cause. But behind the cause of the cause or the cause of the big cause was the kind of systemic structural racism that allows these dilapidated substandard housing to exist and the silence that our political and healthcare leaders have as it relates to these types of structures. It's the shame of the city of Buffalo. Substandard housing is the shame of the city of Buffalo. I want to bring up one more thing because you were speaking and brought back our conversation to earlier on, messaging. We can talk about the problem. You out laid it out very nicely right there. The type of messaging that will make this a, these issues that we just discussed here, political issues that bring people out to vote to demand more. I think Messages need to come from a variety of sources. I always start with the, the medical and healthcare profession because they're the ones that need to be at the forefront in denouncing these kinds of conditions because it's these kind of conditions that breed the unnecessary death and dying. So they can't be quiet and silent, especially now that they know about the social determinants of health. So if you know that poor, rundown housing is a social determinant of health, you must speak out. You must speak out against that, starting uh, with the Commission of Health. The Commission of Health must denounce these situations and use her office as a bully pulpit. We have to say things like uh, uh, 
the lack of an emergency plan by, by the city of Buffalo is unacceptable. And not only as the, uh, the people, and I'm talking about African Americans and the Latinx and immigrant populations, have to speak out against that, but, but also the corporate and elitists in the city, as well as I've already mentioned the, 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 uh, the, politi- the health care professionals. We have to speak out against that. And that speaking out can be writing op-eds. That speaking out can be using your organization associations. That speak out can be using whatever bully pulpit that you have at your disposal. But if this is to be a city of good neighbors, and that is nothing more, is to be something more than, than just a, 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 a slogan that you use to, to uh, publicly advertise your city. If it's to be a city of good neighbors, then the na- good neighbors must dedicate themselves to eliminating the kinds of conditions under which people live. And it's the kind of comp- conditions under which people live that make them vulnerable during extreme events. That's the reason that the east side is hardest hit, because before the stream event, you allowed structural racist forces to create those conditions of life under which they live. Just as I've said before, that racist person who came, white, who came here to kill blacks were able to easily find them because systemic structural racism had concentrated them in a certain location and places and built only one grocery store for over 60,000 people. He understood it, and it made his hunting easy. Individual racism and systemic structural racism worked together, but the greatest evil of all is systemic structural racism. And we fight against it by fighting against the conditions of life under which people live. And everybody has to speak out, starting with the healthcare physicians and healthcare workers, public health folks, because the social determinants of health are rooted in these neighborhoods that creates the conditions that lead to unnecessary, their bodies being ravaged by unnecessary disease and premature death and that make them vulnerable during extreme events such as the blizzard of 2022. Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor, thank you for bringing a full circle for us. Thanks for sharing your office and thanks for being with us on Buffalo What's Next. And thanks for uh, having me on the program to share my views about what's next in Buffalo. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.